Hello and welcome to the second row. And if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that I'm Park Kelly. And if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that my name is Park Kelly and this is the weekly interview. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And this podcast is literally everywhere from Acast to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud to Spotify, Google Podcasts, the works. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button. With me this week is Shane O'Leary, a member of the 2016 Pro 12 winning squad. He's one of the most driven rugby players you'll ever meet who has forged his own career in rugby. Hi Shane, how are you? How's life treating you? Uh, how are you doing? Um, I'm very well. Trying to keep busy with the lockdown. It's obviously a bit of a strange one for everyone, but I suppose you got to do what you got to do to stay sane at the moment. That's it. And how's training going? How are you keeping fit and keeping your skills kind of A1 for when rugby starts back again? Um, yeah, so I've got a, a couple of dumbbells at home up to about 20 kg. So I'm kind of doing as many reps as I can using those. And um, I've got a couple of resistant bands as well. And then um, my brothers and sisters are all pretty physically active as well and play sports. So I've been doing a couple of skills with them, obviously at home or um, in a park on our own kind of thing. So um, yeah, there's been plenty of people to throw a ball around with or kick a ball around with but obviously it's not quite the same intensity as you get uh, on the training part. So you're able to get home before things got really really tough? Um, yeah I got home there about three weeks ago I think um, so it was tough enough at the time I suppose but I got the ferry back and um, it was pretty smooth sailing there was about 20 people on the whole boat so it's actually the safest I've ever felt on a ferry which was kind of <laughs> weird um, but but yeah, we came back, did our two weeks isolation, um, and uh, now we're, I suppose, we're able to go to the grocery store <laughs> again. That's about the height of the excitement, so that's where we're at, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just weird, weird times. At least you've got a bit of company you can keep sane. You know, some people living in small apartments going absolutely mental now. Yeah, well, in the UK, I was in a small apartment with my missus, and um, even just being able to go sit in the back garden now is kind of a big upturn in the... I suppose life, you know, it makes it a lot easier when you're able to just go sit outside in the back and you don't have to go sit outside and there's cars going by on the road and things like that. Like, um, So, yeah, it's a bit more relaxing in that sense. Um, but then, obviously, my house is quite busy at home. There's a lot of us. So, um, <laughs> trying to find peace and quiet is another challenge at times. But, I uh, know, it's all good. Oh, li- living the high life. Oh, yeah, rub it yeah. in. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just thought we'd start start at the beginning. Uh, start from day one and you and Scarf and you getting to rugby. Was it your first love or... Were you into hurling or football there as well? Because Scarf's quite a GA area as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm actually, um, I was born in Cork, um, but then we quickly moved down to Limerick and then out to Ballina and Tipperary because my dad was working with um, the National Coaching and Training Centre at the time, which is now called um, Coaching Ireland. So uh, we're out in Ballina now for the last 20 odd years, I suppose. Um, so yeah, when I was younger, I kind of, I played a bit of everything, to be honest. I think I started playing rugby initially with uh, UL Bohemians inside Limerick um, gave it up after a few weeks didn't really like it didn't have any friends there you know when yeah. I was a young fella so I kind of thought oh, that's not for me um, and then it came out uh, playing in Banla obviously played a bit of hurling and stuff and then I suppose I went back to rugby when I was kind of 10 or 11 maybe so still relatively young um, my dad and a few others kind of set up a mini rugby club out here in Banla Killaloo um, there'd obviously been a club before with the likes of Keith Wood and Anthony Foley and all those legends that um would have played, um but the club kind of it it wasn't it wasn't around at the time, so they started up the mini rugby again and um it got going that way and I started playing mini rugby out here with all my friends and then when we got to under thirteen we 
we amalgamated with Scarif because we wouldn't have had enough to make a 15 side team and they would neither we both would have had about 10 or 12 so we ended up having a team I think we lost every single game under 13 <laughs> uh, then under 14 we got to the cup final and we won most of our games so uh, so we got a couple of a good a couple of good hurlers in from Clare that were very fast and people couldn't catch them so <laughs> that was the difference between the 13s and 14s um, so yeah we uh, we built on that then and we kind of we were fairly competitive most of the time. I mean, we would have lost to Gary Owen and Shannon and I suppose the likes of those a fair bit when they would have had two or three teams at the under-15, under-16 before the schools rugby decimated them. Um, and then we played with Scarf until I was under-18, I think, and then I joined at Young Munsters and signed Limerick and I played a couple of years there. Yeah, and that kind of coincided with your time with playing with Munster underage. Kind of really fed that, that you wanted to be a professional rugby player. Uh, yeah, well, I think I kind of knew since I started mini rugby out here again when I was probably one of the faster people, considering now I'm one of the slower people on the field. Um, I think the dream kind of hit home then that I suppose I wanted to play professional rugby. Um, and I suppose I kind of worked towards it since I was a young fella, really. Um, but yeah, obviously, I would have played like age grade stuff from like under 15, under 16 um, with like the North Munster clubs and then into then it went into the Munster Youths, um, Munster 19s, Munster 20s. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was. I enjoyed the the club scene um, probably more than I did when I when we all got mixed together again. Just I suppose when I was a young fella, I was probably a small bit shy and kind of was very comfortable with my friends and be able to express myself. But then when I went into that bigger group, and obviously everyone's better players, you know. And I suppose I kind of felt that I never really hit the ground running um, with the monster age grade stuff, um, which was I suppose I I feel like it came down to a bit of confidence, I suppose, or whatever. Um, but then I went and played with the Canadian 20s and I felt very comfortable over there in that group and, and I felt like I played quite well at the Junior World Trophy um, and stuff and ended up getting picked up by Grenoble in France into their academy. There was a couple of Irish coaches over there, Mike Prendergast and Bernard Jackman and that lot that uh, I suppose would have given me good references and uh, got me over there and I suppose since then I've kind of I've grown in confidence in my own ability and whatnot and I suppose I've gone on to achieve quite a bit. You have. I was actually going to ask you about the Junior World Trophy because yeah. not many people in Ireland would really know about the tournament because the under, the Irish underage tend to be in the Junior World Cup. What's the standard of rugby like there? Because you came second that year to Italy. How did you enjoy it? It must have been a great experience, especially at a young age. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a bit mad. Like So kind of, um, I was playing with uh, the Monster 20s and kind of was on the edge of the squad, not really... I wasn't. I wouldn't have been a very influential member of the squad. Um, and then, kind of, you know, you're still always hoping you get picked for the Irish twenties. You know, it's like the pinnacle at that age. Um, and kind of, it wasn't happening. One day, my dad kind of said to me, joking, "Oh, sure, maybe you'll play with Canada. Your mum's from there." And I was like, "Geez, maybe I will." Um, <laughs> and then, and then we actually looked into it, and there was an English man over there, Mike Shelley, at the time, who was running it. Um, and we got onto him and a couple of emails forward and back. Um, before he before he asked to see mum's birth cert to make sure that I wasn't pulling the wool over his eyes. Um, so obviously don't sound very Canadian. Um, but then, uh, yeah, managed to go out there and we went out to Minnesota for two weeks um, where we played the USA back-to-back who were actually going to the World... Uh, that were going to the Junior World Cup and we beat them by about 20 points both times. Um, and then we went back up to British Columbia out to Vancouver Island um, and we did a two-week camp there. And then we headed down to Chile to the World Trophy. So I know the World Cup that year was in uh, France. Um, so I was 
delighted to be heading down to South America for a couple of weeks. So yeah, it was a it was a pretty cool uh, experience. Um, Opportunity kind of, of a lifetime. Oh yeah, well it came around very quick, and then it was just kind of happened, and then I was like, oh well, I'm in Chile now. Uh, and there was another Irish lad, um, Jack Fitzpatrick, who would have played with Trinity, um, and he was there too. So we got on like a house on fire, and it was it was nice to have. I suppose another bit of home there would be my first time going away traveling. I suppose at nineteen years old or whatever, hadn't lived away from home yet or anything, and then I was gone for seven or eight weeks on tour. But I suppose that's the beauty of the rugby community, isn't it? That where you kind of just make friends and kind of comes like a big family, especially, um, especially in like an international setup where you you might only see each other a couple times a year, but you get very tight with these guys very quick and I suppose you're in constant communication with them really to become some of your good friends. I bet you're still kind of talking to a lot of that group today still. Yeah, yeah well, a lot of them um, would have gone on to play with the Sevens, um, the Canadian Sevens, um, and a good few of them are playing with the Canadian Fifteens as well. So you end up uh, chatting to them and bumping into them at training when we're out centralised in Canada. Um, or you just keep in touch with them online, I suppose, because obviously... <laughs> when I'm in the United Kingdom or in Ireland or wherever I'm, uh, I'm quite far away from them. But, uh, but yeah, it's just so easy to stay in touch with people. So I actually ended up living with one of the lads I played twenties with a few years later when I played with Ealing. So <laughs> that was a good crack. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's very easy to stay in touch with people. Really, these days, it's not much of an issue. Like you can see someone's face in a matter of seconds if you need to. So yeah, that's true. And I read it was that kind of it was a mixture between that Canadian connection and having been coached by Mike Prendergast in Young Munster, that led to that move to Grenoble. How did that all come about? Because like, it's a mad jump for someone that age. Um, yeah, yeah. So I suppose I was waiting to see if I was going to get um, Munster Academy or Munster Sub Academy. You know, obviously, um, I haven't played rugby in Munster underage. You know, that was the dream to play there. Um, and then I suppose it kind of it never really happened. And my club form was going very well like I was one of the few that was playing AIL most weeks and um, I suppose uh, Mike Prendergast Prendy brought me on a huge way like you know and kind of nourished me and gave me loads of attention and tried to help me learn the game and gave me that opportunity to play in the All-Ireland League when I was 19 I think yeah um, so that was obviously that was huge experience for me you know I remember thinking at the time how fast the game was and stuff um, how much bigger everyone was everyone looked like they'd been in the gym for years and I was a skinny little 18 or 19 year old running around trying not to get absolutely killed um, but uh, but yeah I mean it brought my game on loads and then when I went out to the Canadian 20s um, I suppose playing with lads my own age again who are obviously I mean it's international so obviously a lot of them are big and strong and fast but I felt like I, I was able to deal quite well with uh, the pace of the game and then obviously having worked with Mike so closely um, I had sent my CV out to all the clubs when Munster had made it very evident they had no interest in bringing me into an academy or sub-academy structure. And then um, I was in contact with Mike the whole time. And then Mike said, oh, there might be something out here. Do you want to come out and trial? And I was like, absolutely, let's do it. Um, and I flew out a, a day or two later and did a week out there. And uh, at the end of the week, they, they wanted me to come back out and join their academy for a season. So I headed out there to um, West France down by the Alps. Uh, and it was an unbelievable year. It was great crack. It's a gorgeous town, Grenoble. It's just incredible. It must be a great yeah, year to live there. You had and you got those caps for the senior team. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Like so, there's quite an old part of the city, and then you can see the newer part of the city when you look down at it from uh, up on top of the mountain on the Bastille. Um, 
you, it's very evident where the old city is to the new city. Um, and yeah, so I stayed in a in a big academy building with thirty nine lads. Um, uh, thirty six of them were French, obviously me being Irish Canadian, and then uh, one lad being Polish and another lad being Tongan. Um, so straight away there <laughs> they were my two uh my two foreign friends that I became very close with, who I'm still in touch with uh fairly frequently. Um, so the two of them were still getting the grasp of their English when they came. So I was trying to translate from French to English into Polish and Tongan um, <laughs> uh, in the academy building. So I suppose I had to learn how to speak French pretty quickly so that the three of us could survive. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a bit of an adventure. And then, like you said, I managed to get a couple of caps for um, for the senior team in the Challenge Cup and stuff, um, which was class. Like, I mean, I got I started away to Wasps, um, got to play at home to Wasps, um, got a trip down to Viadana, played them at home. Um, yeah. So it was it was class like. And when you were there with Mike and Bernard Jackman, would you have much interaction with them? Would they have much impact on your game at that level? Um yeah, yeah, they would. Um so Bernard Jackman was kind of um defence and like collisions coach and then uh, at the time Mike was the skills coach. So and I would have trained all the time with the seniors. Um so I would have been interacting with them every day and they were good, like they would always be getting me around for barbecues and um you know, just keep me involved in the whole community, I suppose, obviously. As a young fella, it could be difficult. And, I mean, I had my a couple of wobbles at the start when you kind of gets a bit overwhelming when you, you can't understand what's going on. You feel like you're not playing very well because you can't understand what people want from you or you can't express what yeah. you want from them. Um, but I suppose they put their arm around me, took very good care of me, and it was it was much appreciated. And I suppose I went on to really enjoy my year. Um, James Hart, who... Uh, was recently with, played at Munster as well. Was also there at the time, so I had another Irish fellow there as well. Um, so yeah, like having that community, and then obviously Mike and Bernard's families too was massive. Like you know, they're all very good to me and uh, really looked after me. I suppose we all looked after each other. So uh, yeah, it was brilliant. That's brilliant. That Irish connection clearly seemed to have made your life that bit easier because a move like that at that age into a professional environment that you're not really used to is just huge. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it, I knew Mike so well at this stage. Like, I'd played with him. He'd obviously coached me a lot. Um, so I felt very comfortable around him. So that was, like, straight away it was easier. I had another kind of a small bit of interest from a couple of uh, Pro D2 teams at the time, kind of not not for pro contract or anything, just for, like, an academy deal for the season that uh, a couple of the Canadians would have had links with. Um, but obviously, as soon as this came up and the Irish connection there, obviously in top 14 as well, was uh, an absolute no-brainer. It really was, and I I've never heard the term collision coach before. A bird is the the right man for that job anyway. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think Grenoble's breakdown that season was um was brilliant. Like um, they obviously they had a couple of huge scalps. They beat Toulon at home. They beat Toulouse at home. Um, all these games like you're looking at the other teams like Johnny Wilkinson, Matt Gitto, all these players, and they're just unbelievable and. Grenoble obviously had some very good players as well, but maybe not the names on paper. And then they're beating nearly all these teams at home. It was unbelievable. The place was absolutely hopping, huge crowds. And the French are obviously so passionate that you really get tied into the whole thing. And uh, it's just unbelievable. It was it was so cool um, seeing some of those results at that age. I suppose it kind of only made me want to play in those kind of games more. And your year was kind of short-lived because then you moved to the west of Ireland and Connacht. What was that like? Because you were involved in a very exciting time in Connacht rugby. Um, yeah, it was unbelievable. So I went from 
France where obviously it's kind of it's all very uh relaxed out there you know it's not kind of as uh like they might be as strict on some things as they would have been when I came back to Connacht so obviously that was a bit of uh, a learning curve um coming back and then there's obviously guys that you've seen play for years and years and years you know all these superstars that are yeah. coming back and all of a sudden I'm playing with them and I'm kind of like oh my god you know so it's a bit uh <laughs> it was a bit uh overwhelmed by that at the start but I suppose they're all they're all just sound lads in the end of the day and you get on with them very well very quickly like you know and you settle in nice and quick and before you know it you're mates with them all and they're just other players and you just get on board with it and play um so so yeah I settled pretty quickly I found um all the boys in Connacht were bang on and then obviously we went on to do some pretty cool stuff in my time there so yeah it was a great experience I absolutely love my time in Galway Galway is an absolutely unbelievable city as well so I definitely miss it now that I'm not there anymore yeah, it seems, I think the city leaves a lasting effect on anyone who comes, even for even a small bit of time. <laughs> yeah, well, people from Stags or everything still remember <laughs> the great times. And I've spoken to so many lads from playing in the UK now. Oh, yeah, I've been there in a Stag. It was unbelievable. I'd love to go back again. <laughs> great spot. What's that spot? Electric or Halo or any of these places, you know, or the front door. And um, Yeah, so I think it's a great spot. And you're saying there, there's there have been differences from moving from France to Connacht. Like, could you remember any specifics that has come to mind? Uh, well, everything was in English. Obviously, made it a bit easier. Um, yeah, I think it was just kind of um, like it was, there was a lot more meetings in Connacht, you know, about game plan and that. Where a lot of it in France was kind of okay. This is the general plan. Now go and joue or go play. You know. Um, we're in Connacht, uh, obviously coming in under Pat Lamb. He was very structured in the way he wanted us to play. Kind of, I want you to do this here, do this here, do this here. And then we all bought into it. And we all knew the plan so well that it worked. Whereas I suppose in France, it was a lot more off the cuff. So that took me obviously a little while to get my uh, my head around. There's just different defense systems, different attacking systems. Um, kind of, I suppose. And then obviously playing with like the likes of John Muldoon and that. Like, you know, they really obviously drive the standard in there a lot so i suppose there was just yeah it was just there was just a lot of things kind of um obviously it's rugby in the end of the day but you just kind of get your head around all these things um i suppose i was still very young i was still only 20 or 21 so um and it was my first time actually on a professional contract as opposed to an academy contract so everything that came with that was a bit i suppose all of a sudden I'm, i have to do everything that the pros do where in grenoble it was a bit more relaxed like you know i I came in for the sessions. I might necessarily have to be there for all the meetings. I suppose that's more of another number than uh, an actual squad member. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's a transition from the academy going to a pro deal that was probably the biggest thing. But like I said, it was made pretty easy by everyone in there being so um, on the ball and so easy to get on with. And did you roommate with anyone that was in the squad at the time? Or did you travel from home? Um, yeah, I actually ended up living with uh, Nia Adialokan and Jack Deneen, who was in the academy. So, so uh, yeah, I got on with them very well. I knew Jack previously from training underage in Munster when we were like 14, 15. And then Nia had obviously just joined as well. So we hopped in together and Nia's obviously a top lad too. So, yeah, we got on well and it was a great year. That year then in 2016, I was watching back the final yesterday that was were, yeah, yeah well, it was Saturday sorry that was some year what are your memories apart from the final because I will talk I want to talk about the final and the week afterwards was there any <laughs> memories of that year that kind of really stand out small milestone moments or just in the camp what was the feeling like um yeah I suppose we started and we actually lost the first game of the year to Glasgow away um 
when they had all their internationals gone and we were kind of like, oh God, we should have won that game. That was a big one, you know? Um, and then we were kind of, I think we went on a winning run then straight away and the confidence just grew and grew and we got better and better at the game plan. And I mean, obviously, um, one of the signatures of the style of play we played was that we didn't kick the ball or we kicked it very, uh, very rarely. So I think it was easy to get on board with um, and it was very enjoyable to play. Um, so, and I think everyone knew their roles so well that we kind of, it just flourished and we just kept getting better and better and the momentum kept building and building and we kept winning and winning and winning. Um, so personally for me, the standout moment in the season was when I got that start against Munster um, in the sports ground and we beat them and that was kind of, I suppose, a dream come true, you know. Um, it was an unbelievable moment uh, playing against some of the legends that obviously as a young fella I would have watched play in Munster. Um, as a young fella and then getting to play with the other legends I would have watched playing in Connacht and we managed to beat them so that was a huge moment for me um, and then I suppose the semi-final win at home to uh, Glasgow uh, was incredible the scenes after that game were absolutely insane I remember you weren't even able to move around like there's so many people on the field it was unbelievable and then obviously heading into the final like you said we'll talk about that but that was out of the out of this world it was, right for, it was all right for you. You had your flight sorted. I had to go like looking for fl- ferries and how long I could drive yeah. to Edinburgh and all this type of crap. Cause the, the well, that's what my dad and sisters and uncle did. They they left home and 36 hours they were home again, having not slept and driven all night and <laughs> uh, all that tr- up to Belfast, across to wherever in Scotland and then over to Edinburgh. So it was madness, but... It looked like so many people got there. It was unbelievable. And there were so many people at home then when everyone hadn't arrived home yet. When we got back as well, it was incredible. Like It was absolutely unbelievable. And in the build-up to that game, you were involved. You had a lovely crossfield kick for a Tierno Halloran try in one of those two Glasgow matches. You might not have had as many caps as you would have liked to have got with Connacht, but you were instrumental in that year. You had some very good appearances. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, I would have preferred if I was, if I played a bit more, but... um. I definitely felt like I was part of the squad and um, I got a decent amount of game time, especially suppose there was a couple of injuries towards um, the middle to back end of that year and I got my opportunities and did quite well and managed to hang on to a spot in the squad for the final and everything. So, um, yeah, I only look back on that year with fond memories. Um, like I said, it was, it was a great time and I would like to play it a bit more, but I suppose it is what it is. Like you had AJ and Jack there as well, who were obviously both class. Um, so, I suppose... In a way, I did quite well to get as many games as I did. That competition just drives standards and must drive you forward as well as a player to try and improve. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to embrace it because you uh, you can obviously get a bit crippled by the fear of making mistakes and all that. But then if you're not trying things and you're not uh, giving it a real lash, um, you know, the other boys will be in. You can't just be standard. Like, you know, you have to have a bit of flair to your game or show the coaches what you can bring to the game as well. Um, I mean, obviously, Jack's quite well known for his... Uh, all his attacking kicks now and I mean at the World Cup you saw them he was just tearing teams apart like um and then AJ obviously has his showing his show and go so um uh yeah you got to bring your own bit of spark to the game as well so you're all like it's very rare to have three very different tens you wouldn't put you all as the same type of player no no um yeah yeah it's true yeah we're all quite different like AJ takes the ball on a lot himself I quite like attacking the line as well but I suppose probably distribute maybe i wouldn't carry as much as aj and then jack obviously has that flair where 
he just pulls things out of the bag and you've seen a lot over the last few seasons where he's re when he's really flourished um so yeah all a bit different but this was all similar then in the same way that we all fit into the same game plan so yeah yeah it's interesting when you look at it like that i suppose yeah then that final i was watching back the match and reading reports you, you only came on be as a head sub because we're so decimated with substitutions. I say it was like a pure fear. If we put anyone else on now, we might not have anyone left. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I fell into that bracket fairly regularly when uh, there was a couple of knocks. Uh, oh, we've only one sub left. We've got to hold him in case someone else goes down. So, um, But yeah, Tierney uh, went off for HIA and then came back on again. So I got uh, my four minutes on the wing, the left wing in the final. Uh, absolutely shit my pants out in the wing there. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, we held it. We we held it together, and um, no one went over uh, in the corner when I was on. So I was happy enough about that. And that day, could you talk to me about that day from like the bus journey to the stadium? Because my memory is foggy at best, and I wasn't even drinking that day. <laughs> I can't even believe. I can't even imagine what it was like for someone involved in it. Um. Yeah. So like, I mean. We kind of approached it. Obviously, we knew there was going to be a lot of supporters there and all that, but we approached it kind of as a normal day um, that you do for game day. I think we might have arrived one day earlier because um, with the half two kickoff or three o'clock kickoff that it was, I think we needed to obviously be there at the ground pretty early so we didn't just rock up the night before. Um, so we arrived on over anyway. It was grand, had our normal day, all our meetings and walkthroughs and activation games and all that. The day before, then the morning of it, you. Again, you have your last meeting, your bit of activation, and we're on the way to the stadium, and kind of everyone's obviously really excited. You know, it's probably one of the first finals that a lot of lads have played in at senior rugby. And then we're on the way there, and then uh, we just remember people all up the all up the staircases and seemed to be hanging from the roof and everything when we got off the bus. Yeah. And we're like, we're driving in, and you've your headphones on, and then all of a sudden, like, what is that noise? And you look outside, and it's just the sea of green, and you can hear the fields of Baton Rye belting out, and you just see everyone taking off their earphones, looking out, and lads' jaws are on the floor, like, oh my god, I didn't think it was going to be this busy here kind of job. Um, and it's just like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. And it was as if there weren't any blue jerseys there at all that day. Um, so yeah, I remember that, like, that is something that uh, I'll definitely remember till the day I die like um, when I look back at my career it's just getting off the bus there and it was so loud the fields of Atten Rye absolutely belting out um, getting the Connacht chance you know obviously then for a few of the favourites like Mull and I suppose Bundy and Robbie and lads like that and you're just kind of like oh my god this is is this real kind of thing you know like it's like the clan stand 10 times over <laughs> just roaring at you and you're like oh my god this is unbelievable um, and then we went out and the crowd didn't quiet at all for the whole game. I mean, obviously, we had a good start to the game, um, which I think kind of got everyone behind us even more, um, and people really started to believe. But, yeah, it was absolutely gobsmacking how incredible all the fans were. Um, like, we knew they were good, but then that just took it to a whole new level. It was incredible. I was, like, two three people deep in where the bus, <laughs> bus parked that day, and... You should have heard the difference because when you your the cock bus came, the fields after I was sung as like you heard it was incredible. But when the Leinster bus came just beforehand, there was almost <laughs> venom in how it was being sung, <laughs> like oh, trying really? to put the, put them off their game. Yeah, as Leinster walking in, the fields are being sung, trying to put them off, just like we're here. <laughs> and and how and how yeah. do you harness well, that emotion? 
Um, well, I suppose, like, kind of as you don't really want to leave people down, obviously you want to go out to win every game you're playing. But when you see how, I suppose, it was probably a pretty emotional performance from everyone out there. Like, you know, you've seen lads obviously celebrating incredibly hard when we got those couple of tries and, you know, all boys picking each other up, patting each other on the back when we got a good, when we got a good big tackle in or things like that. Um, yeah, I suppose it was just, it was a massively emotional day for everyone. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, to be honest. It's just one of those things, like, it's just mental. The whole day was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. And just watch it back, because that year, like, Connacht played really well and defended really well, but I don't think I've ever seen that level of physicality that season. There was an emotional pitch of physicality that I hadn't seen from a Connacht team in a long time. Yeah, there was just a massive desire and want, I suppose, kind of. And we had so much confidence in the game um, that we'd built all year and from playing with each other. And uh, we just grew in confidence. And you could see, like, we were growing in confidence as the game was going on. We never looked like we were going to lose the game kind of thing. You know, even when they got their try, we were straight away composed and backing it up with more good attack sets, more good D sets. And I suppose, yeah, it was just there was a massive confidence in the group and a huge belief that we were going to win. And that final whistle, I say a sense of relief and joy, everything flooded all at once. Yeah. Do you remember the next seven days? Um, I remember some of them <laughs> towards the back end <laughs> when I was dying. Um, yeah, uh, listen, it's mad. I was saying to my girlfriend the other day, I remember after the game we went in and everyone's handed a beer and we're all jumping up and down, probably not even drinking them, we're throwing them at each other and singing and taking pictures of the trophy and uh, just enjoying that. And then I remember going to bed at midday the next day after <laughs> after having one more pint in the scaf after they'd reopened and after some <laughs> lock-in somewhere. I, don't even, I can't even remember where we were now, but it was mental. And then we were back on the bus again at 2 o'clock the next day, so I had about a 40-minute nap, and then we're up again. Yeah, it was just incredible. Like, I remember being uh, in Pukon, and it was just all of us. We were in our polos, and all the fans were there, and it was insane and it was just like that for days one thing about that day that i thought was really nice was that the academy were all brought over as well yeah there was a really good group feeling in that team that year like sometimes just everything comes together really well and it showed it must be nice to kind of feel that have that experience with them as well that they weren't just the academy players they were part of that full squad yeah well, it was a big kind of a big brotherhood or a big family really you know and, and a lot of the academy boys had played uh, a very important role in that season you know there was like every team has injuries throughout the year and those boys stepped up and kind of seamlessly fit in you know and did their role and would have been part of some really big games and absolutely deserved to be over there and edinburgh for the final two and there were some lads that might have even still been on academy contracts that were playing so like, yeah, they were absolutely a, a big part of it and absolutely deserved to be over there. And are there any stories from that week that you <laughs> could tell that wouldn't get me or you into trouble <laughs> of just how big those celebrations were? Um, yeah, like I said, I remember we got back and we uh, the whole squad didn't stop till probably nearly midday the next day and went home for an hour's nap, grab a slice of toast, jump in the shower and you're... Uh, you're back out to be on that bus again and then it goes on till whatever time the next day and then you go home and have a couple of hours sleep and we're all meeting up again and going at it again I suppose and just enjoying each other's company and I suppose it was almost like the whole city was just on that body clock for the next while or whatever I'd say no one went to work for a week um <laughs> yeah it was just like it was just unbelievable there was such a togetherness amongst the whole city like you know when we were on the bus um the open top bus going through uh and then we did the 
the homecoming or whatever on the back pitch at the sports ground, like the entire pitch was covered with people, and all we're he- being all we're hearing is that uh, half the people that went to Edinburgh are still there. And we're like, what? And we're like, what? Like, <laughs> I didn't even notice this many people in Galway. Like, but it was obviously <laughs> it was obviously people from all over Connacht, you know, coming in from Sligo, uh, Roscommon, Leitrim, uh, everywhere. Like, so yeah, it was. I just remember being kind of almost in complete shock from when we arrived to when we arrived off the bus to Murrayfield kind of till about five or six days later when I eventually came home to see my parents um it was just like the whole thing was just almost like a dream it was just an incredible time and it must be hard to come down from that like the next season there did seem to be a bit of a hangover from winning the Pro 12 and and Pat Lamb announcing he was leaving did seem to play a part in that it wasn't an odd year after season previous. What was the feeling in camp? I don't want to go into the ins and outs of anything, but it must have been tough to try and go again after the season you had before. Um, yeah, it was, but I think everyone was hungry to like, you know, go out and back it up and kind of everyone loves winning, you know, like winning is yeah by far the best part of playing. Um, no one likes losing, so I think we all went out and we felt like we were going well. I feel like we probably just didn't evolve our game enough you know and if you don't change enough teams figure you out and uh, I mean teams came off the line a lot harder at us and put us our skills under a lot more pressure when when we had been making an awful lot of passes and then all of a sudden it was a lot harder to make these little passes and teams were kind of shutting us down and kind of knew we weren't going to kick very often so they were kind of putting one person in the backfield and everyone else in the front line um, and all of a sudden the pitch is very crowded and I suppose we kind of we struggled a small bit with it, and I think we we had patches throughout the season where we were good, and then we had dip in form again, and it was a bit of a weird season. Then, like I said, obviously Pat was leaving, and there was a couple of other guys leaving. Um, so yeah, it was probably it just didn't kind of click for us, I suppose, as well as it did the year before. And like like you said, you got to keep evolving, otherwise teams uh, figure it out. And look at Leinster; Leinster seems to be getting better and better every year, but they don't look like the exact same setup or team every year. So. They're doing an unbelievable job at the moment. Um, so yeah, you got to keep evolving, otherwise teams catch up and figure you out. So I think that probably happened a small bit, and then we probably just didn't play as well as individuals and as a group as we had the year before. And at the end of that season, you moved on to Ealing. How did that move come about? Was it a discussion with Ealing, or did it come through Connacht itself? Um, so I actually had a deal on the table from Connacht, and then... Um, between the jigs and the reels didn't work out in the end of the day um and then uh so i actually didn't have a club at the time but i'd been in contact uh with canada constantly since i'd played under 20 and kind of i'd said to them oh you know i want to give it a good crack of being a professional player in ireland so as soon as i would have played for canada i wouldn't be an irish rugby player so i'm technically a canadian rugby player now um so yeah um when i knew i wasn't going to be staying at connacht i decided to pack up and uh head out to Canadian senior camp um, in late May, I think. Um, so just after the season ended, about a week later, I headed off to Canada, um, did a couple of training camps here, and then uh, managed to thankfully get a couple of caps that summer. Um, and then I actually came home and I didn't have a club for a month or two, which was probably good for my body. Looking back on it, um, kind of gave me a bit of rest um, after quite a taxing time and obviously an emotional time as well, leaving Galway and then getting my uh, Canadian cap and so on and so forth. It was a, a roller coaster couple of months. Um, and then Ealing came in and needed injury cover, and I went out there and had a great time in London. Yeah, I managed to get a couple of couple of caps pretty soon after arriving, and then 
ruptured all the ligaments in my ankle in my third game. So then I kind of arrived to the club and almost just started rehabbing for months. Um, so I hit about 12 weeks rehab um, there and then um, managed to get back and play a couple of games with Canada. And then I finished the season quite strongly with Ealing and played um, the last nine games or something. And we ended up uh, beating Leinster um, in the BNI Cup final that season. So uh, it was funny playing Leinster in another final and winning again. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, teams need to have you on the pitch in games versus Leinster from now on. I think that's yeah. what we're learning from that. <laughs> um, uh, what was that first Canadian cap like? Because that's a big moment. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so I got it in Calgary. Uh, I think it was on the 13th of June, 2017. So uh, mom obviously being Canadian and we'd been out there a couple of times when we were younger to see my... Uh, my great grandfather, who was around at the time, um, and obviously it got family kind of dotted all over the country. Um, so yeah, it was. I obviously went out, and I still had a couple of good friends from uh, when I played under twenty there. So I kind of clicked back in there straight away, and we'd been together as a group kind of four or five weeks before I had it. So it wasn't like I came in one week and made my debut that weekend. So I actually had some pretty good friends out there by the time we were playing. Um, but it was a it was a strange one. It was against Georgia, and we um. We trained all week in like 30 degrees, like factor 50, kind of getting, still getting scalded every day of training, all good. And then uh, the day we played, there was a, a massive storm and it was like gone from 30 degrees the day before to zero degrees, pissing rain sideways. Almost felt like I was back in the sports ground, kind of in the depth of January. So it was a strange one. <laughs> Uh, where at least you're prepped for it. Well, that's the thing. I ended up getting man of the match. So it wasn't uh, um, even though we lost. So yeah, I was used to the wind and the rain a lot more than some of the lads there. Um, but yeah, it was it was mental in the sense that we trained all week in these uh, in this unbelievable weather, and then all of a sudden it's like just freezing outside. One of the lads had to come off uh, at halftime because he was so cold he couldn't stop shivering, and obviously he'd been rolling around in the the wet. And it's not nice playing against the big Georgians in weather like that. Um, that suits them down to the ground and all of a sudden uh, we're just relying on kicking and waiting for errors and uh, I suppose we dropped a high ball and it bounced and their guy jumped in it and scored and that was the biggest difference between the teams uh, in the 13-0 loss. But yeah, it was an unbelievable day. Um, my mum was incredibly proud and they're all watching from Ireland um, on the Facebook live stream or whatever it was on. Um, so yeah, that was a class day. It's amazing and I think a lot of people forget there's that Irish connection around the world and it's great to see you do so well with the Canadian team and help them qualify for the World Cup it's such a different experience having to qualify for the World Cup how was that journey like um yeah so it was actually it, like you said it, it's weird um having to do it because obviously come from Ireland we're always in whatever the top five or six in the world you know we're always automatic qualification uh qualifying for quarterfinals at the world cup and it's something that i'd uh i'd honestly never thought about before yeah i went away and started getting stuck into it and doing it um so it's it, they're changing how they're doing it now but when we did it um canada had never qualified outside of the america's one spot so they'd always been the first team from the americas to to qualify and then uh the states beat us over two games we drew aj lined up aj mcginty lined up at 10 against me uh, in both games so that was that was a bit of a funny one um, and we drew 24 all or 27 all in the first game and then we went down to San Diego played them in the second fixture and we'd had a couple of injuries and they they just beat us off the park so all of a sudden they qualified and then we were getting a bit of backlash from the public and whatnot as not qualifying and 
you know, obviously what goes with when you lose. Um, and then we, a few months later, um, we played Uruguay home and away um, to qualify as Americas too. And we ended up losing um, those two games by a couple of points in both of them. Um, and then uh, we ended up having to go to the World Repechage um, in tw November 2018 in Marseille where we played against Kenya, Germany and Hong Kong. So we were the last team to qualify for the World Cup and we really came in the back door like you know it was a it was a strange one it was a first for all the Canadian lads and then uh, I suppose I found out about absolutely all of the World Cup qualifying pathways um so yeah it was a weird one um but we managed to get there in the end and it was unbelievable being out there and seeing it all especially from a player's perspective I mean it looks unbelievable on telly uh when you're always watching them from home or whatever but it's way better when you're a player um seeing how well they look after you especially with the japanese culture of you know just everything being so pinpoint um it was unbelievable like and i think the big thing is all the nations are looked after the same out there you know so whether you're the all blacks or canada you're all in the same hotels you're all uh the same transport looked after the same way um there's no favoritism you know all that kind of thing so yeah um like we we arrived at the hotel one day and an hour beforehand england had left so that's always nice as well because obviously there's a lot richer rugby unions than the Canadian rugby union. Um, so, uh, like, I mean, getting treated like that was like you're pretty much treated like royalty. It was unbelievable, you know, and just the interaction with all the fans and there was loads of Canadian fans made the trip and then you're obviously bumping into Irish fans around the place as well and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, and like I said, they're so efficient with everything. It was amazing. Like, And you're in a tough pool with New Zealand and <laughs> South Africa. What was it like facing some of those players, especially the World Cup winners in South Africa? Um, yeah, so uh, South Africa was the only team I actually managed to get on against. Um, obviously, Peter Nelson, who was at Ulster, was the first choice 10. So he obviously got the more game time. Um, but I remember coming on against South Africa. It was just a massively proud moment, uh, finally getting on, getting my cap. Uh, obviously, I'd been waiting for it for the first couple of games, and then I managed to get it in the... In the third game with my mom and dad there and my girlfriend as well um, was huge. Um, and then obviously so many friends and the lads and their families. Uh, as when you said lining up against them, yeah, they, I mean, they're all absolute studs, you know, and you're looking at some of the best players in the world. But I've, I have enough experience now to so it's not really be too overwhelmed by that. Um, so I just came on and I had a point to prove to the Canadian coach and set up that I wanted to be involved in the last game anyway. So that was the only real thing in my head that I wanted to come on and try and uh, bring a bit of energy and stick to the game plan and implement it, implement it as best I could and hopefully get us over the line and score another try but that didn't happen but uh, we created some good opportunities after I came on and I really enjoyed it and I wanted the game to go on for longer <laughs> I bet and weirdly that World Cup time prepared you for what's going on now your final pool game against Namibia was called off and the season with Nottingham ending early it feels like the last twelve months of your career have been a a bit jinxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was that was a really weird one because we didn't know till um the morning of the game that it was off. So we had prepared all week like it was on, and the weather had been awful. Um, it was raining away and uh, windy and stuff, and we're still training. And then um, our phones all start ringing um, with all these uh, what you call them, like weather warnings, like you know from the government, stay at home, don't go outside, evacuate the area all this and we're kind of looking at our liaison officers being like I don't even have a Japanese number on my phone ringing 
and I can't <laughs> stop it from ringing. Like my phone's on silent and it's ringing. Kind of been like, do we need to leave? Or are we okay to stay here? And then they start bringing down the shutters in the hotel, and we're staying right on the water in Kamaishi, where where the big uh, tsunami had been back in I think it was 2011. And we're kind of like, oh my god, we couldn't be in a worse spot uh, for this now. But thankfully, the eye of the storm didn't uh, quite pass by us. We were on the edge of it, um, so. It was all right, but yeah, we didn't find out till I think it was half seven in the morning that the game was off. So that was obviously massive, dis- massively disappointing. We had a meeting and there was a couple of lads retiring after the World Cup and they didn't get their last run out. And I suppose that was the game that we'd probably targeted the most out of all of them, that we'd have a, a really decent chance of winning someone kind of more around our own level. Um, I mean, it's obviously class playing against the All Blacks in South Africa, but realistically, we were never going to... We we're never going to beat them, um, and then against Italy, this was that was the opportunity for an upset. Um, but I suppose where we were in our development compared to them, they were just far too good for us on the day. Um, so yeah, it's supposed it's kind of prepared me for this, but it still doesn't make this time any less boring and not being able to do what I love and out there playing. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind of a twelve months really. Um, kind of leaving Nottingham and not really necessarily getting to say all your goodbyes and stuff is a bit uh a bit bitter but I suppose it's just the way of the world at the moment isn't it um there's no niceties at the moment you're kind of it's all about survival isn't it surviving not thriving as they're saying yeah it really is and I was going to ask you about the championship in general it's a decent enough standard of rugby and you've played for Ealing and Nottingham in it are there many differences between the two clubs yeah so playing with Ealing when I came over first um it took me a couple of weeks to get into the team um Obviously, Ealing have an awful lot of cash, um, and they're really putting on a push to get to the Premiership. Um, and the best of luck to them with it. Um, but so we went in from that club, and then obviously all the money, and then went up to Knotts, where they're on the very other end of the scale, where they're just breaking even um, each year. So I think like this, the difference in salaries that they had in um, Ealing compared to Knotts was massive. Like you know, in the budget. Um, so you're going from a very wealthy club to a club that's um, rebuilt and doing so well that way to get going again. Um, so that was obviously massively different. And then the facilities I went from playing on a 4G to a field that's unbelievable in the summer, but it's on a um, a floodplain. So no matter how much they treat it, eventually the water rises and it turns into a bit of a porridge patch. Um, so uh, obviously that was a bit different, but... I think I enjoyed my time at Nottingham an awful lot. Um, obviously made a lot of good friends there. I was there for two seasons. Um, it's like a real family orientated kind of club. So when my missus came over, they were really good to her, helped her with some work and kind of, uh, you know, really got her involved in the whole club. And we made some really good friends there. People that will definitely be friends with for life now. So, um, but yeah, the Champions League is, it's, it's a very good league. Like, you know, um, people talk about it all the time. They're like, oh, it's just mauling and scrumming and, um, but if you watch some of our games um, and you look at some of the tries of the year, you you won't find better tries in the pro 12, in the pro fourteen or the top fourteen of Premiership. Like you know, there's tries from people scoring from behind their own try line, and lads are running it out, and lads are um, really giving it a good crack. So um, like with all the cuts and funding and everything that's going on, the coronavirus at the moment, you'd feel for the clubs now. Um, a lot of them look like they're going to have to go part time just because they're not getting that backing from the RFU anymore. Um, and then obviously there's no income for the next few months to the clubs. Um, so, yeah, I mean it's tough on everyone, but kind of I suppose especially the lower budget champ teams that uh, that don't have that uh, those resources anyway um, are kind of being hit hard, hardest by that. 
Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. I read that about the RFU and I was like, but the championship's a great proving ground. There's internationals who have played championship only three or four years ago. Like, it's a great place to start your career. Yeah, um, there was there was a stat that came out and it was uh, something like out of the English squad that was in the first Six Nations game when they announced that the cuts were happening, 46.7% of the squad or something along those lines. It was high anyway. It was close to 50% of the squad had played in the championship. Um, along like from the likes of Owen Farrell having played with Bedford to I think there was three of the props in the entire squad that had played at Nottingham at some stage kind of like and they're saying that oh it's not breeding internationals it's not doing anything um, and while these players might have gone on to play for England anyway it's definitely a massive stepping stone when they're in academies and stuff to come in and play um, it's a lot better than what for example the A-League so the A-teams um, it's a lot better standard than that and I'd be pretty confident that we would have beaten any of those teams um you know, there's a mix there between old lads that don't want to play A-League and 17, 18-year-olds. And it's so hard to get, like, consistent good rugby at that age where in the championship, a lot of these guys have played um, for the likes of Connacht or teams like that before. And then um, and also go back on and play with teams like this. Like, we've had a lad that's been picked up by Leicester the year before. We had a lad picked up by Leicester and the same year before. So, um, there's lots of lads that move on. And there was a couple of boys that went to Bristol the year before that as well. So... I mean, like, it's been a great stepping stone to get people back into the Premiership or to other provinces um, in Ireland and then also then end up playing for their countries. So, yeah, I think um, it's been pretty crap from the RFU and kind of without a whole lot of solid reasoning, but we won't get we won't get too far into it. <laughs> yeah, and we'll look to the future and you're off to France again, to Normandy. Yeah, up to Rouen, and Normandy and northern France, so I'm looking forward to that one. Whenever that happens. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we're aiming for July, but I suppose we'll see um, when the, the next announcements about lockdown come out. Um, we'll find out a bit more then, and I suppose it's all about being reactive as opposed to proactive, isn't it? You can prepare as much as you want to just be told no. So, um, so yeah, I suppose we'll find out when the next announcements come out. Yeah, that's it. A few lighter questions to finish <laughs> off. Who so far in your career, who so far in your career have you enjoyed playing with? I know you've played in a few different clubs so I don't want to put you on the spot and pick one guy out so if you want to pick a yeah, yeah. person per club or anything like that that's um, cool I suppose when it comes down to who I've preferred playing with the most it kind of comes down to I suppose who I probably got on with well with the, or got on the best with as opposed to kind of the best players I might have played with you know um, so I suppose any of the lads that I really got on really well with kind of and ended up like I have a lot of best friends from rugby now kind of playing with them kind of sharing moments with them is kind of probably the highlight of it as opposed to playing with let's say some of the superstars that I would have played with I mean that's obviously fantastic and everything and it's class playing with them obviously it makes your life a lot easier but when you're winning with best friends and stuff like that like this that's probably the most special thing yeah get you on the flip side of that was there anyone that you enjoyed playing against anyone you knew that you're going to get a really good game out of them be it as a team or an individual yeah well I enjoyed lining up against Andre Pollard when I came on uh, in the World Cup that was <laughs> yeah that was uh, pretty cool or um, when I played against Grenoble in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal away um, oh, his, his name is eluding me now but um, I obviously watched him for years and I was in France and then getting to play against him was uh, was class as well um yeah, so lining up against all these lads, like you know, all the superstars you get to play against is always, it's always cool. It's always nice to um, have a crack off them and kind of see where you stand in regards to them. You know, all these like playing against Ian Keatley, who 
actually ended up coaching me for a while at Young Monsters uh, when we played against Monster that day. Um, that was class as well. Like you know, Ian's a, Ian's a nice lad, and I get on well with him. So yeah, I could I could probably name people all day here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is grand, grand. Uh, one last thing, as an out have you'd have a very specific perspective out on this. You know, the fifty twenty two law change kicking from your half into the opposition 22 getting the line out yeah what are your own thoughts on that do you think it'll be good will it suit your game how you like yeah, to play? yeah i think it'll i think it'll definitely suit my game um kind of my tactical kicking has probably always been one of my strong points um uh i think it's gonna it's gonna be good it's gonna make wingers have to hold back a bit more and kind of cover that ground because if you're getting marched into your 22 and have a line out to defend 10 15 meters off from your line it's the last place you want to be it's the highest pressure place in the field um so and the wingers having the hold back uh kind of covering that ground a small bit longer you know um is going to open up the opportunity for teams to run it out of their own half um so for the likes of connacht when we won the pro 12 like that would have been a huge role yeah you know not that not that we would have kicked the ball anyway but um <laughs> but you know it would have definitely opened up a bit more space to us and like so i think it's going to encourage on and and hopefully it will and then hopefully we'll see a couple of uh kind of i suppose the ogara-esque kicks coming back in a couple of spirals to the corner always nice to watch and things like that so yeah it'll be interesting um it'll be interesting to see how much the tactics change and if it has a big influence or if it doesn't have too big an influence on the game but i suppose we won't really know until um the changes come in and we start watching games with it you know you're just gonna have to keep an eye out for that lightning fast back <laughs> row who's gonna have an even bigger uh, target yeah, on you bring them all on i'm used to getting hit late I'm playing the champ now so <laughs> Uh, I'm used to it, yeah. <laughs> Shane, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks a million for coming on. It was being great to chat, and I really hope that everything in France in the future goes well for you. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Uh, it's been an enjoyable chat, and this was reminiscent about the the glory days. Yeah, it really was a great chat, Shane. Thanks again for coming on. I really do appreciate it. If you out there have enjoyed it as much as I have, don't forget to share it everywhere you can. Tell your friend about it. Get other people listening to it. That's the only way podcasts like these can grow so until the next time you hear from me be it the lockdown with ushin on friday maybe or another interview next monday take care stay safe and talk to you soon <laughs>